let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Want to hang out with the CityCast DC team IRL? Then come to our live taping, Saturday, June 3rd. Taping starts at 1. It'll be at Right Proper Brewery in Brooklyn, where we'll be chatting with the head of the DC Brewers Guild about DC's craft brew scene. So come out, drink, chat, meet the team, and learn all about DC's local brews. Today on CityCast DC... WAMU's food culture podcast, Dish City, is nominated for yet another James Beard Award this year. It's a huge accomplishment. And in celebration, we're rerunning this conversation all about all things DC food with the show's creators, Ruth Tam and Patrick Ford. Whether it's Old Bay on Crabs, the history of DC's Chinatown, or Half Smokes and Papooses, we've got you covered. It's Wednesday, May 31st. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. I am so excited to talk to you two today. I just got finished listening to your brunch episode, and so I'm ready and raring to go and to talk about all of your food DC opinions. So much of the work that y'all do on the show is really about chronicling, you know, these foods that are unique to DC. Are there foods that you would think like would be the most unique or the most special or the most like closely held for the most people in DC? The one that I think of for this is definitely mumbo sauce. I was trying to figure out what food stands out to me. And I think that it's mumbo sauce because I don't know if you remember this in 2018 when Muriel Bowser said that mumbo sauce was annoying (laughs) and it was this whole thing and everyone was so mad about it. And just a few weeks ago, I was walking down the street. It was right before the primary election. And I saw just this clandestine poster that had a picture of Mayor Bowser. And it said, mumbo Muriel, hating on the sauce, hating on families, hating on DC. All right, I dare to ask, is anybody else annoyed by mumbo sauce? Well, that's the question DC Mayor Muriel Bowser asked on Facebook last night. And oh, a lot of you responded. (laughs) Hundreds of people slammed the mayor for saying this unique sauce is not essential to DC culture. And I think that like if people can take this kind of offhand comment about food, but like it's a campaign issue like four years later, I think that's a good indication that you've got a food that is pretty important to a lot of people. Absolutely. And as soon as she said that, I remember thinking people in D.C. are not going to forget this. And there just happens to be that alliteration, Mumbo Muriel. I saw that a poster that called her Mumbo Muriel. I mean, it just goes to show people in D.C. have, one, pretty long memories, and two, very particular food opinions. I will say, personally speaking, Salvadoran food is something that I started eating like right when I first got to D.C., but was something that I had never had prior to coming to D.C. And it's something that, you know, I just had last night. Like, it's something that I've consistently eaten throughout my time here. 
and like pupusas were my gateway into local DC food culture. The year that I moved to DC, I'm pretty sure it was the year it was announced that DC was like Bon Appetit's big food city, or it was one of the years, the early years of my time here. And so that was like happening on one track of my brain. And on the other track of my brain, I was just like, where are the pupusas? Like, I just want a pupusa. And that was like, the neighborhood food that I would get. And it's the food that I crave. And so for me, Salvadoran food, Salvamex restaurants, that really says DC to me. Do you do your pupusas with the cabbage on top? Oh, yeah. I have to have the pupusas with the cortido, which is the cabbage slaw. It's just like the perfect mix of like, you have your like fatty, cheesy goodness from like inside the pupusa itself. You may have other fillings like meats or whatever yesterday i got mine with zucchini because i you know wanted to be healthier or whatever (laughs) (laughs) you're still eating it in like a cheesy fried pocket i don't really know what i was thinking but yeah the cortito is like this like sour crunchy sweet topping for it and it's just perfect with the pupusa Oh, you're making me hungry. I'm curious, you know, as y'all have been researching food in the city for so long, what kind of trends have you noticed in making the show? I think one thing that's interesting and that we maybe are sensitive to as the people who make the show is that so many of the narratives that we explore for different foods and different episodes repeat themselves. Like history repeats itself. One of the The prime examples of something that we covered in our show is what happened in 1968 with the uprising after Martin Luther King Jr. died and what turned into what many know as the riots on, you know, U Street, 14th Street in downtown D.C. We covered that in our Half Smokes episode, our first episode ever. And then in 2020, we were working on our second season and we were kind of covering how you know, people were responding to um, the pandemic and all of that. But then the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter protests kind of just like engulfed D.C. And the same conversations that people were having regarding whether or not businesses should be supportive of, of protests that could turn violent or whether or not you could support Black Lives Matter and also support Black restaurants and Black neighborhoods, the choices that people were trying to set out, like, oh, it has to be one or the other and mutually exclusive. Like, that conversation was happening in 1968. It happened in 2020. And these are things that, like, repeat themselves. And that's something that was specific to these two episodes that we did, both in 2019 and 2020. But there are other themes that pop up, too. We talk a lot about gentrification and city change. We talk a lot about how immigrant groups move into certain neighborhoods and, you know, maybe are forced to maybe because they're not welcome in other neighborhoods and they're pushed out of certain places and they wind up in in parts of town that ultimately become very valuable both for other businesses and for the city itself. And so you see episodes that we've talked about um the Chinese immigrant population making a Chinatown along H Street in D.C., or the Vietnamese population in Clarendon or Northern Virginia. These are communities that built up those spaces into community centers and then were ultimately pushed out for other types of businesses, something that the city um, not just allowed but encouraged and wanted to happen. So these are themes that just kind of continually occur. And so whether it's like the supposed forced choice between supporting Black lives versus Black businesses or you know, immigrants, immigrant groups coming in and making a place lively and then being forced to move. Like these are things that just continually happen. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm wondering, how do you see the changing food culture? Like, do you see it mimicking the way that the city's demographics have changed? I don't know if I would call it different groups of people, but it's like different, like, lenses, really. I mean, like, I I think a lot of the top line, like, food that we're covering, whether we're doing, like, an episode about, like, Half Smokes or we do an episode about, like, Chinatown or something like that, that it's very kind of, like, foundational like understanding of a food and the, and then it's 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 pretty removed from like the buzzy like restaurant blog sort of thing it's not to say that there isn't a place for that and i guess i would say that like the the people who are interested in in like a socioeconomical like review of like half smokes are sometimes the people who are like interested in like the latest restaurant opening but not always <laughs> It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the podcast. So I know that season one was about DC proper. Season two and three took us through the pandemic. And then season four, you were really talking about like the burbs, what's happening outside of the district proper. If someone was a new listener and they wanted to figure out where to get started, where would you recommend they start? Like, is there a Dish City starter pack that folks should really start their their journey with the show through? I have three. <laughs> The list keeps growing. From our most recent season, I really like the episode we did about crabs and all of the labor that goes into catching them and selling them and and eating them. From our third season, I like our episode about delivery food and the labor that goes into it, Um, realizing that there's a trend there as I say this. And then I also really like our episode about mumbo sauce from our first season. For me, the Chinatown episode was my attempt at answering a question that I've had in D.C. Like ever since I've been a resident for the last nine plus years, I, you know, remember feeling like, oh, this is my first time living in a city where I have close access to a Chinatown. When I grew up in the suburbs outside of Chicago, Chinatown was, you know, 
a 45 minute drive away when I was in school around Boston. Chinatown felt a little further because I was kind of mostly on campus, even though I did go. And then my when I moved to D.C., I was like, oh, I am a district resident now. Like D.C. has a Chinatown. It's right there. It's accessible to me. After repeat visits, I was like, okay, like, I don't think this is the Chinatown that I'm familiar with. And I was always kind of wondering, why are there all these Chinese signs that kind of make it seem like this place is more Chinese than it really is? And it kind of just sat with me in a weird way. And when I found places outside of the city, like when I started going to Eden Center, when I started going to Rockville, I was not really asking that question as much anymore because I had found my version of Chinatown. It just existed outside of D.C. But the question never really went away. So when we decided to launch this season, you know, I did want to have an episode about why, you know, so much of the good Chinese food that you can find here is outside of the city. And you cannot answer that question without explaining like what happened to the people who used to live in D.C.'s Chinatown, not just on 8th Street, but along Pennsylvania Ave. Um, the D.C.'s original Chinese population lived there. And, you know, I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this episode. Like this spans like 100 years. And we decided to focus on what happened in D.C. as opposed to, you know, how what's going on in the suburbs right now. But, yeah, that's kind of where it came from. And it was hard for me because... You know, this is a community that even though I'm not an immigrant and I didn't grow up in D.C., I still feel like, oh, I'm I'm still part of D.C.'s Chinese community, even if I don't live in Chinatown. And I felt a lot of weight, honestly, in terms of reporting on that community. I didn't know if I could do it well. I didn't know if I could do it enough of it in the time that we had. There were a lot of challenges, but I felt like it was really important and People only really talk about the losses, but people don't talk about what was here before. They're just like, oh, there's no Chinese people here. And that's kind of where the conversation ends when people talk about Chinatown. And I wanted to go further than that. Yeah, I think, I guess I'd wonder, like, how often do you two find yourselves trying to answer some specific question about food or a style of food? And then you end up telling this, like, very thoughtful, nuanced, like painting a portrait of communities or of a history or of like, you know, you think you're you think you're setting out to answer like a just a a small question and it ends up being so much more. Is that something that happens a lot when you're doing the show? I would like to think that we're trying to answer big questions. I feel like a lot of the topics that we choose to write about are I hope people think that they're significant or important and that like they aren't easy to answer and like a really like final or clean way. I hope that we tell those stories in ways that people think are illustrative or, or like are informative to people. I think though it, it does happen quite often. You know, we do research before the episodes and so it's not as if so many of the conclusions are complete surprises to us, but there are genuinely episodes for which we didn't know how the story would pan out or we didn't realize it would go that way. Um, I think two examples from our last season are our Old Bay episode and our Vietnamese food episode. We definitely knew we wanted to do an episode on Old Bay just because people are obsessed with it. Like, it's obviously just, it's just like too big to ignore. (laughs) So we have to do an episode on Old Bay, of course. But we did not actually know the origins of Old Bay, nor did we know that most crab houses in the state of Maryland don't actually use Old Bay on their crabs. And so that was like a very like, whoa, this is something that we learned on the job. Well, if this is surprising to you. Do we have a podcast (laughs) for you? 
this is shocking information. Many local crab houses don't actually use Old Bay. You know, many of them use J.O. Number two, which is a similar spice blend, but with coarser salts so that it adheres to crabs better when it steams. And Old Bay is like a finer spice blend. And so it can kind of melt off crabs if it doesn't have those like crystals of of salt. And this is something we didn't know when we started the episode. We just thought we were going to do an episode on Old Bay fandom because it's so intense. But we had all this history and all this like kind of industry specific information that we did not realize until we did the reporting. And so all this all this learning that's happening is happening in real time. And similarly, in the Vietnamese food episode, I just thought I was going to do an episode on the importance of Eden Center because it's something that means something personally to me. It means something personally to a lot of people in Northern Virginia and elsewhere. But we did not realize that the Vietnamese community that grew Eden Center started in Clarendon. And we don't associate Clarendon with Vietnamese food. We associate Clarendon with brunch or just like retail, like the metro. Like it's just, it's this doesn't have a lot of like, let's say, international <laughs> flavor. <laughs> and so to learn that the Vietnamese community of this region started there was something that I did not know. And we learned on the job. Wow, that is very surprising. I didn't know any of that. And I bet this this kind of work probably brings up all kinds of like surprise little histories and cultures that you would never know. Patrick, I'm curious if you have a food story that particularly surprised you. I mean, in, in journalism, surprise people, there's lots of stuff that aren't in the stories that you end up reading or listening to or whatever. And when we were reporting our Half Smokes episode, you know, years and years and years ago, we are at this like meat processing facility and a person was like, oh, and here are these rows and rows of cured hams. And we were like, what would you possibly use a cured ham for? And he's like, oh, it's this thing, Southern Maryland stuffed ham. Maybe you should make an episode about it. And, you know, it was funny. haha. And we like learned about this new thing and we ended up doing a whole episode about it at this person's recommendation. People mention things offhand all the time and they end up being very interesting. Um, And I learned about a whole new place and a whole new cuisine. Well, Ruth and Patrick, thank you so much for being here. This episode was really enlightening and I feel like it made me hungry, but also made me curious to find out more about eating through DC. Thanks for talking to us. It was really fun. Thanks for having us. And before you go, I have a favor to ask. CityCast is surveying our listeners, that is, you, to learn more about you. Their survey will help us make CityCast DC a better, more useful podcast. Please take the survey at citycast.fm survey. It only takes five minutes. That's citycast.fm survey. Plus, survey takers will also be eligible to win a $250 Visa gift card. That's citycast.fm survey. Okay, here's some quick, quick news. The purple line is not new to delays, trouble, and change. And the trend continues with the announcement that both the executive director and communications director are off the project. The 16-mile light rail from Bethesda to New Carrollton is already four and a half years behind schedule. The Maryland Transit Administration has said it will promptly begin searching for a new executive director for transit development and delivery. Also, a group of Montgomery County residents is pushing the local council to ban short-term amenity rentals, particularly pools. The debate centers on the app Swimply, which allows homeowners to rent out private pools. Some residents say their rentals bring loud, rowdy pool parties to their neighborhood. The county is already considering adding regulations and taxes to home amenity rentals, but the growing backlash could mean the app's removal entirely. 
Finally, a boil water advisory has been in place for several Northeast neighborhoods since Sunday. The concern came when a water main broke, causing a loss in water pressure. Once there have been two consecutive days of clear samples, DC Water will lift the boil water order. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell your favorite DC foodie? We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. DC water will lift the boil water or that's a very difficult thing to say. It's like a tongue twister. <laughs>